Thanks for taking the time to check out this episode of Desert Island Goals. Video links to all the goals we're going to discuss in this podcast are in the description below, as well as social media profiles for myself, the podcast itself, and our guest. Please take the time to follow us all right now. There is a good chance there will be some strong language at some point during this podcast, just letting you know that ahead of time. And please take the time right now to give us a five-star review on either Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. It really helps us out. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the show. Cheers. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Desert Island Goals. Thank you so much for taking the time to check out this podcast. My name is Callum Squires. I am your host. And joining me today to talk through the five goals that he would relive or rewatch for the rest of his life if he could only have five while stuck on his desert island is a very special guest, Matt Lane. Matt, thank you so much for taking the time. Great to have you with us. Uh, how are you doing today? Hey, Callum. Yeah, good to be here. Um, doing well. Looking forward to chatting some some football stuff. I've been uh, putting a lot of time in re-watching some of the goals, reliving some of the memories, so happy to, to chat through it, yeah. Yeah, I'm excited. When I started this podcast, you know, it was important for me to make sure that I wasn't just going to be interviewing fans of, quote-unquote, the big six every single week. I have a lot of friends in my life who are Arsenal fans, a lot of friends who are Liverpool fans, myself as a Man United fan. You know, there's there's a lot of, uh, quote-unquote, big teams that we hear about, and I wanted to make sure we got as much diversity as possible into our guests who would discuss their goals with us. And obviously, that's leading into the fact that Matt is not a fan of a big six team. Um, and Matt, as you know from listening to the podcast, we always start with, I guess, your football heritage and how you kind of became to be the fan that you are today. So first things first, where are you from and what team do you support and how did you become a fan of said team? So I am from originally a small town called Accrington, which you'll have heard from probably the TV advert. Some of your listeners might have done anyway. Um, it's nowhere near Liverpool. I don't know why the kid on that's got a Scouse accent. Um, but it's pretty much five miles to the east of Blackburn and to the five miles to the west of Burnley. And I'm on the Burnley side of that kind of divide. My dad was a Burnley fan. He was actually born in Derby. But I think he moved to Burnley with uh, my grandma, his mum, when he was before he was one. Um, and he didn't really speak to his dad much after that. Um, and he moved to Burnley, where my grandma was originally from. When he was four, we were the best team in England. We were top of the top flight. We won the league that year. Things obviously didn't last in that regard, and we've we've been on quite a tumultuous journey since. But nevertheless, when, when I came along, and both my brothers as well, there wasn't really a doubt in, in our minds as to who I was going to support. I didn't have a choice, and to be honest, I'm very grateful of that anyway. I wouldn't I wouldn't have it any other way. So um more by um hereditary design. Sometimes it feels like it's a disease I've inherited, sometimes it's something nice, but depends what the score is on, on each Saturday really. You're maybe the third or fourth person to come on here and say that they didn't have a choice with the team they support. And I, I think that that's something that some of the um, American friends of mine don't necessarily understand because obviously where where we come from it's very much tribal, it's very much regional and I guess, you know, in, in your area, there would have been fans of quote unquote bigger clubs and Burnley was, I guess, I, I mean, well, really the question is, was Burnley the biggest club in terms of your friendship group or were you more of an outlier in, in kind of growing up in school? I was definitely an outlier. I would say probably around the Accrington area, it, 
as I say, it's just as quick to get to Blackburn as it is to get to, to Burnley. It's like one stop off on the motorway. I'd say at the time, when I was growing up, Blackburn were better. They were in the Prem. We, we were in second or third division. I, probably like maybe 10% of the people around Accrington were Burnley fans, maybe 30, 40 Blackburn and the rest probably covered one of the big big teams like United or Liverpool. Um, but most of the schools I went to were more towards a Blackburn side. So I was usually the only person in the class that was a Burnley fan, much to everyone else's um, disdain. But it you know it didn't didn't stop me being proud of being a Burnley fan. To be honest, that kind of um, rarity of it almost made it a bit more special, especially when we got results against those teams later on. Yeah, so you you mentioned kind of other people's disdain, I guess, for for you as a fan, or maybe for Burnley generally. I I don't necessarily understand the history of that per se. I, I you know at times in the Premier League, there's been a I, I like to call it football snobbery because you know for for my money, you know, and I, I, we're we're of a similar age. When when I was growing up in the Premier League, certainly the team that everyone used to bring up as being a little bit underhanded and a little bit nasty was Bolton Wanderers. And certainly in North London, where I was growing up, Bolton had a hoodoo against Arsenal where no matter what happened, they'd find a way to win. And that kind of continued with Stoke later on. And there was kind of a criticism of the way they played football, shall we say. That's something that has been leveled at Burnley over the years. How does that make you feel? Is that something that you think is, is fair? Is it something that you care about? Or is it really just, you know, I'm, I'm a Burnley fan and I want to win? And I really ask that because obviously now with Vincent Company being your your manager as of now, you know, the the style is a little bit different to what it was in the, the Sean Dyche era. Dyche got a lot of negative press, I would say, more from fans rather than actual press and commentators. I think they were quite fair. We definitely played a mixed style. I think when we were in the championship, um, we had two promotions under Dyche. We played some superb football. It wasn't all long ball. I would say it was pragmatic, which meant in the championship, we typically had better players in the opposition. We could outplay them. We could bring on subs that would affect the game. Whereas in the Premier League, it was more about outlasting the opponent, you know, defending in a good shape, having low low blocks, things like that. And to be honest, over time, that became something that we probably wore as a badge of honour. And there was nothing better than getting a draw or occasionally a win against a team that just felt like they had a God-given right to beat little old Burnley. I just said, it used to be Stoke, it used to be Bolton. Um, and when we had the audacity to turn up and stop them from playing and get a point, the, the meltdown you would see on social media was just beautiful. So that era for me was, that was what it was all about. It might sound sad to, to some of the listeners who you know support teams that have had major successes, but for me, the feeling we would get from beating a large team or getting a last minute equaliser, you know, staying up on last day of the season. Those those things for me are as big. They make me feel, I would imagine, at least as happy or maybe more as winning a title if you've won the title four or five times, you know. So what sort of thing? So I, I really embrace it. I think most Burnley fans would probably agree. Company ball is very different. Um, it's very slow, patient build-up. It's pretty much Man City light. Um, we don't have anywhere near the quality, but obviously we're in a, a, a division of, of lesser quality as well, so it probably balances out. But I'm I've been really impressed with how quickly he's turned the squad around. So we we had some huge losses at the club, um, both in terms of talent, so players like Kone, Pope, but also stature. You know, Ben Mee, club captain, lost Tarkowski, who was another diamond at the heart of defence. So to lose all of that 
squad and then bring in, I think, 16 or 17 players when you count the loans. And to already, I think we're fourth or fifth in the table at the time of this recording, um, to already be like pulling results out like that, playing well. We've we've probably had far too many games where we've drawn and we've conceded late goals, but I thought we would be as good as we are now in March. And I probably thought by then it might be too late to make a playoff run. So I'm hoping that if we can just continue to improve every game, um, promotion's a real possibility. And, and I don't think any Burnley fans would take that for granted. Um, it's not promotion or bus for company. He's here for long haul and we've just got to be prepared to be patient because some of the games have been slow and some of them have been frustrating. But I think we know that it's building towards something bigger and we're happy to have someone like him at the helm. The Championship is a fascinating league for me. I, I'm, I'm, I guess, fortunate that I've never been a fan of a team in the Championship because I know how stressful and how week-to-week up and down it can be for all manner of teams, and it's so hard to get out of. But I think, you know, I've seen a couple of Burnley games earlier in the season, and, and certainly, like you said, the way company has kind of taken to it quickly and been able to t- change things about the club, I think, has, has really impressed me. I wanted to just further touch on kind of your, your Burnley fandom as a child and growing up. So obviously this was a big part of your family, I'm assuming, based on your dad leading into you and your brother, you said. Was this something where you were going to games regularly, obviously living in the area near Burnley? Did you have season tickets? Are you travelling with the with away games? You know, what was your upbringing as a Burnley fan like? Probably best to go back to my dad, really. So he, he was on the games a lot when he was, you know, a young lad, 9, 10, back when it was a farthing or whatever to get in and you could like jump the fences a very different set of affairs and and he was a fan really all the way up until our decline which, which we'll get into in like the 80s um I think you know when he got to the age where he had other interests and I, and I had a similar thing probably Burnley became Burnley in football became maybe second and third on the priority list uh, and then my oldest brother John who's uh, he's 16 years old and he's quite a bit older I think the story was my grandma was uh, so my dad's mum was moving to a, a new house and it was right, literally, you could throw a stone and hit the back of the stand. It was that close to the stadium. And I think John was would have been five or six at this point. I think it was like um, 1989 or something like that. He basically said to me, I want to go on the game. And my dad was like, no, we're rubbish. You'd, you'd really don't want to inflict that on, you, on yourself, son. Eventually, John threw a tantrum. Dad took him on the game and he said, if we win, we'll go on next week. Knowing full well, we're going to get battered because we were terrible at this point. We won. And they basically end up going on pretty much every game after that. And I suppose that, that for my dad was a second coming. So he'd already done the young lad kind of fun in the, the 70s, uh, falling away and come back. And then that obviously continued with my brother, um, my other brother, Sam, who's five years older than me. And then again, on to me. So my, my first game was against York City. We were bottom of what is now League One, what was then Division Two. And we won 7-2, remarkably, despite being bottom <laughs> of, of that division. Um, and we managed to scrape survival that season. Um, and then we brought in a new manager, Stan Turnant, um, who was a bit of a journeyman in the, those kind of lower lower leagues at the time. Uh, and a couple of years later, he turned things around. We managed to get promotion. And my first, I suppose, whilst York was my first game, um, the first proper memory I have of a match was the last game of that season. So it would have been about May 2000. We played Scunthorpe away. Couldn't get tickets, but they were screening it in the, the stadium at, at Burnley at Turf Moor. Um, so I watched that with my dad, my brother and my mum. Uh, Burnley won 2-1, got promoted. I, I don't remember much about the game. I just remember everyone jumping up and down and being happy. So obviously I was happy as well. Um, so that was my first, I suppose, real real experience of, or me, real, real meaningful memory. 
And then from then, I guess I had a season ticket for about seven or eight years. And then as I moved into like late high school, college, I kind of fell out of love with it a little bit as you do when you're growing up. And then I started going back on again later on in college. And I picked a really poor time to, to rejoin the, the fold really. We're on like a 17-game winless run. And I think I went on a, like, a midweek game against Birmingham. We drew something really um, non-memorable. But I think after that, I just it kind of brought me back in and from then on I pretty much was was pretty regular a season ticket holder I missed some of the Premier League uh, era the first lot at least because I was at university um I couldn't afford it I couldn't get there but other than that I've been pretty much a regular for the last six or seven years I'm trying to do as many ways as possible but it, it isn't really easy and it's it's not cheap either so maybe three or four of them a year but I, I do go on every home game pretty much um, unless I've got a good reason not to. And so does my, my dad and my brother. So it's very much a family affair for me. It's, it's something that I really associate strongly with my dad and my brother. It's Sometimes it's the only time I see them over the course of a month. It might be two or three games. So it's always nice to have that associated with it. So yeah, that, that I guess takes up to the present day pretty much. Yeah, perfect. And for, for those listening at home, we're going to be talking a lot of Burnley throughout this list. So you're going to get a real in-depth uh, analysis of the club's history and, and you know, the club's present and, and, and Matt's journey as a Burnley fan throughout his life. So, Matt, obviously the reason we're here is to talk through your five Desert Island goals. And in putting this list together, I always like to ask, was this an easy an easy decision for you? Were there five goals that jumped out straight away? Was this something that you uh, spent hours or maybe even days thinking about and uh what went into deciding which the final five goals would be i wouldn't say it was easy but i think there were a few goals for me that really stuck out uh, as meaningful memories um which we'll obviously get on to i think there's i've got plenty of honorable mentions that i wish i could have fit in and i think to be honest some of the first ones i thought i've ended up falling down and and not making the cut the thing that made me pick the goals was I guess how they made me feel there's probably goals that were more important to other Burnley fans um over there that there almost certainly are but I think for me being in the stadium was a big part of it not all of them are in the stadium but it definitely would probably put one above another if it came down to it it was more about how it made me feel and the emotions attached with it the memories that I had um not necessarily the skill involved in the goal some of the goals are ugly goals but it's it's the the into the middle it's going to be Glukov who takes it big guys are also going up there Glukov's kick oh Ian Britton Britton has scored the second for Burnley would you believe it with a header only his third goal of the season they are two up Ian Britton okay Goal number one for Matt, and we are going back in time to 1987. And this is the final day of the 90, of the 86-87 season in the fourth tier of English football, the old fourth division, uh, which would now be called League Two. Burnley, as you've heard, having had you know success previously, were in severe danger of dropping out of the Football League altogether into what is known as the Conference, which is now the National League. And for those of you who are following the uh, Ryan Reynolds, Rob McElhenney, that's the league that Wrexham play in, and that's something that will be easy for people to understand. So 
the drop out of the professional tiers into the semi-professional slash non-professional tiers can sometimes be a death sentence for clubs. And it's certainly something that is feared by clubs all across the UK who, who don't want to suffer that fate. And Burnley, with the heritage and history they had, you could argue should never have been able to be in this position. But that's the, the swings and roundabouts of the game. Burnley are playing Leighton Orient on the final day, knowing that they need to get a result in order to stay up. I'm going to let Matt do most of the explanation here. But the goal in question is Ian Britton's header in the 48th minute that puts Burnley 2-0 up and they hang on for a 2-1 win to stave off relegation and remain in the English football elite pyramid. Matt, obviously you and I spoke before we started here that you weren't born for this goal. So this is perhaps a goal of, I wish I had been there, as opposed to, I wish I could relive the fact that I was there. So Matt, explain to me why why this one had to make your Des Island goals list. Yeah, I think this was the the easy one for me. The first one that I would put in that um, list for, for Des Island goals. And I think pretty much any Burnley fan who was alive or not alive when this goal went in will tell you that it's the most important goal that's ever been at the club and probably almost certainly the most important goal that ever will be, no matter what happens to us, whatever we end up winning, losing this goal. Without this goal, we wouldn't be having this conversation today. Burnley might not exist as a club. So quite an emotive goal. And I appreciate picking a goal when I wasn't alive. Again, pretty out of the box, but um, (laughs) some really good reasons for it. And I think you've set the scene really nicely, but I guess just to recap, so Burnley won the league in 1959-1960. They were, they were a really good team in the run-up to that. They had like a good 10 years where we were in the top three or four fighting for the title. Most of those seasons, unfortunately, we only came away with one. Um, and I think an FA Cup win as well a couple of years later. It might have been a semi-final. Um, yeah, it was a semi-final. Um, it was like Burnley, Spurs, City, Wolves in that era. And this was an era and there was the likes of George Best coming through. So it was a really big era for football as well. Um, certainly beyond the time when it was, you know, just people kicking a ball around and it was you had like Concord Rangers etc in the top flight the team that we had was pretty much all academy players so even then we were um, tight-fisted let's say with the finances and this was obviously an era where teams weren't going out spending lots of money anyway only two of the team that we had we actually paid any money for Um, so moving forward I guess the next like 15 years from the 60s into like the mid 70s so I was kind of drift away a little bit we stopped being one of the big clubs and started being one of the also runs I guess we also dropped down the division then won that division and came back up but then in a 12-year period we dropped from sixth in in the top flight to the bottom division so as you said division four Um, and two years after that so after we'd finally got relegated into the bottom tier we were right at the very bottom of the pile as you say fighting for our lives now you mentioned about Wrexham and, and the conference and then National League now in 1987 when this game occurred it was very different. So this would have actually been the first ever season where a team finishing bottom of the bottom tier would get relegated and they would elect in a um, a non-league side. So until then, if you finish bottom, it didn't matter. You just played again. Um, So the way that this kind of fell was pretty gruesome, I suppose, if it had gone the other way. And really, it did feel like a death knell for the club. The, The area itself, Burnley, wasn't doing great in the 80s. A lot of northern towns in England were suffering from similar kind of 
kind of recession depression if you will it was going across the country but i think the northwest was hit particularly hard so everything was looking pretty bleak and i think the the consensus was if we keep sliding and we go down then the club will not not recover from it um they'd fallen so far already it would probably be the final blow and i mean that division i looked at the teams in it and there's some shockers in there like apologies to fans of Aldershot and hereford and halifax torquay clubs that are in six seven and eighth tier at the moment yeah and plenty lower and i think the only team in there they're in the top flight now were wolves as well um mm. so there was a lot of low low ranking small teams that could probably totted around the bottom two divisions um and suddenly we were not only amongst them but at the bottom of them so i think if you think of when leeds got relegated to league one they were like the big hitters in that league you know we'd yeah. won the league 25 years before this and suddenly we're right at the bottom of, of what's now League 2 um, as you said so it came down to the last game of the season we were bottom of the league we had to win and other teams had to not win for us to, to stay up and most team, most fans will have attended that game thinking they were witnessing the end they didn't really go with a lot of hope um, they went to see the death of you know a once great club mm-hmm. um, so Leighton Orient were the, the team we played against Um and we needed to beat them and also pray that our relegation rivals, Lincoln, who were playing Swansea, lost. Now, to add to this, Leighton Orient were fighting for playoffs. Swansea's season was over. They finished mid-table. So, really, again, the odds were stacked against us. Um, I think the average attendance that season was about 3,000, which is shocking. Like The, the average attendance now is about 20. The stadium was 22. Um, but 16,000 fans turned up that day. I've got the Wikipedia page for the 1986-87 Burnley season open. And the home attendance on those games, um, you, you like I'm not seeing another game that is above 3,000, 4,000 at most. And then the final game of the season, like you said, 15,696. It makes a huge jump to that final day of the season where obviously everything is on the line. And I think it is worth noting that, you know, the final, the bottom five in that league that year, Tranmere, Rochdale, Burnley, Torquay and Lincoln, as you mentioned, Lincoln, who were eventually relegated. There's two points that separates 24th and 20th, which is unbelievable. But obviously Burnley going into the day on 46 points, getting the win they needed to, to leapfrog Lincoln and survive. Um, I'm sure that 16,000 strong crowd really, really helped. <laughs> yeah, I think so. A lot of the a lot of the interviews with the players since they've said like they they couldn't believe how many people had turned up. There was um, chaos in the town centre. It's only a small town, so going from what was usually two or three thousand to sixteen thousand was was pretty crazy. And yeah, as I said, it, it my dad who t- has since told me he didn't attend because he knew if he did we'd lose. He was he was very superstitious <laughs> in that way. Um, which is unusual because a lot of anyone of that era would say they were definitely there. But if everyone who said they were there were there, they, it would have been fifty or sixty thousand, I'm sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was um, it was more to watch a, a once great club die than with any expectation. I think so much was against us, and and we've been so poor that season. I think one of the teams I mentioned, Hereford, who I think are three or four divisions below the football league now, um, they beat us six nil at home. And there was 2,000 fans there to watch that. I mean, I can't imagine you attending that game and then feeling any kind of confidence again that season. Um, moving into the game, I suppose. So we did get an opening goal, which kind of settled the nerves a little bit. So this was right at the end of the first half. Neil Grucock cut in on the inside uh, from the wing and just kind of bent a low shot that just trickled in the bottom corner. 
and obviously sent the Burnley fans uh, into raptures just on the, at half time. And then half time, everyone's got the the radios checking the scores. Lincoln at this point were losing their fixture, so at half time things suddenly look a little bit brighter, knowing that it feels a bit more in our hands than it was 45 minutes ago. And then as the second half begins. Um, we can start to see the crest of that mountain that we had to start to climb an hour earlier. Uh, we got a free kick on the far right side, just kind of on the edge of the box, just outside the box. Um, and the, the video is back from it. So although this is a really old goal and, it, and it's like in the fourth division because it meant so much, there was a lot of press there. And you can actually watch, I think, the full game on YouTube, which I'm not going to pretend I've not done before um, in, in some kind of moments where I can't sleep. But the free kick was floated in by Grucock again. And Ian Britton, who is five foot five, the smallest man on the pitch by some distance, it manages to find its way through a crowd to him. No other defender seems to, to get there. And he just kind of redirects into the bottom corner and runs runs across the pitch with his arms aloft. Um, and he's, he's kind of head thrown back in kind of relief. And again, Behind the goal, full, fully packed away and everyone stood up. Sorry, fully packed home and everyone stood up, um, erupting in elation. Um, and it, it just, again, watching it back, even now, even when I know what's going to happen, it really does make hair on the back of my neck stand up. Ian Britton, the hero. What, what do you know about Ian Britton as, as a player, you know, himself? I, I saw he scored three goals in this season and obviously none more important than this one. What, what does he mean in, in Burnley's law as, as the hero of this day? Yeah, he's, he's probably. I mean, we've we've had got some famous players both in the past and more recent history as well. Jimmy McElroy's probably our most accomplished international player for Northern Ireland. I think he's our our leading goal scorer, assist holder, maybe appearance holder. He's in the top five or ten of those categories from the sixties. In Britain, certainly doesn't fall in the same category in that regard, but probably held in higher esteem just by the fact that again, Johnny on the spot, he put the ball in the net. He was a journeyman, really. So he spent a lot of his time in the top flight. He's played a lot of his football at Chelsea, uh, over 250 appearances, I think. Um, not really a prolific goal scorer. I think he only got about 30 in that time, but he spent a lot of his time in the, the upper echelons of, of um, English football. He joined us towards the back end of his career. He certainly played a role in that season, obviously a season where there was far more lows than highs. And again, he had the, the, the final say, I suppose, with that header. He was one of, I read he was one of the um, only two players from the game that played the, the team that played against Orient, we played in the FA Trophy, it's called now, I can't remember what it's called at the time, but the, the cup between the bottom two divisions, we played against Wolves. At the time, I think it's since been broken, it was the highest attendance for that trophy. It was an 80,000 sellout stadium between two fourth division teams, which is ridiculous. But he was one of only two players that played in both games. And I think the season after that, he, he retired. But I'm not sure where he's from originally, but he retired and he lives or he lived rather in the area, had a family there. So he's definitely like a son of Burnley. Um, he, he actually died in 2016, which was really sad. I think when, when that news came through, everyone in Burnley just kind of stopped and thought, oh, oh really, like that's you know terrible. He was only 61 as well, so it came out of the blue a bit as well. One really nice touch, his, his son Kieran's a, a really big Burnley fan. I, I don't know him personally, but he's um, very vocal on social media and he's you know like one of the lads, I guess. He goes on goes on all the games, he's really involved. And I think that's, that's a really fitting tribute really to his dad. And he certainly doesn't need to buy himself a beer when he's in Burnley, I'm sure. <laughs> and he got the pressure! It's a dangerous! Rodriguez getting it! 
by the looks of it from the goalkeeper Alec on his debut, and that is 3-0, and Burnley looked as though they could be heading for extra time. Okay, goal number two for Matt, and this one is again at Turf Moor, but we fast-forwarded a number of years, two decades in fact, and this is in 2009, and this is the Carling Cup semi-final second leg between Burnley and the Lily Whites of Tottenham Hotspur. In the first leg of this tie, things had not gone well for Burnley down in London. A 4-1 defeat had left Burnley's chances of progressing to the Carab- what is now the Carabao Cup, we'll just call it the League Cup final, looked, I'll say, slim at best. I, I read something in uh, the BBC Sport Match article that I found about this, that Burnley were 100-1 to to reach the final before the second leg. Q, something of an incredible performance from the Clarets. Burnley win the game in 90 minutes, 3-0. We'll talk about extra time later. But in, in the regular 90 minutes, Burnley win 3-0. Robbie Blake, who scored a number of big goals for Burnley in that season, I remember a winner against Man United as well, put the Clarets ahead. And Chris McCann made it 2-0. But then in the 88th minute, a bit of a calamity from the Spurs goalkeeper. And in comes Jay Rodriguez, who at this time is a highly touted youngster, I think it's fair to say. And Jay Rodriguez puts the ball in the back of the net. Absolute pandemonium at Turf Moor as Burnley are now on the cusp of extra time with the chance to still get to the League Cup final. Matt, I'm assuming you were there for this, but in the... In the history of, of, of this game, and I guess Burnley as a club, what did the potential of reaching the League Cup final mean to the club at the time? And I guess take me back to your memories of that day leading up to the Jay Rodriguez goal. Yeah, I mean, we've gone through a, certainly a, a very barren spell trophy-wise. We hadn't won a trophy for what would have been about 45 years. So most of the people that were on the game will never have seen us lift a trophy. So to get that close to a Wembley appearance, which again, we hadn't been there for, I think at the time would have been about 15 years, would have definitely been something special. But I guess we'd had, we'd had over the last, over the 10 years before that, quite a up and down topsy-turvy championship uh, run. We'd had a really strong spell, I suppose, in the same division, the second division of English football, which was good, but we kind of went through a few managers. There was a little bit of financial uncertainty. And this run really came out of nothing. We the expectation going to the two thousand nine, sorry, two thousand eight, two thousand nine season was quite low. We had a new manager, Owen Kyle. Um and we were probably third or fourth favourite to go down into the, the third tier. We had we typically were and we typically finish around mid-table maybe 16th at the lowest um, but promotion was certainly not on the cards and, and a cup final would have been ridiculous we'd moved on from Steve Cottrell who's currently managing Shrewsbury I think so he, he had a really important role at the club uh, stabilised us when we had no money I think when he joined the club we had like seven professional footballers and we couldn't fill a bench he had a knack of signing good players but not really getting the best out of them and when Kyle came in and took over he he really did do that so a lot of the squad we had was assembled by Cottrell, but made great, I suppose, at the time from, from Kyle. In the League Cup, though, so we, we had a ridiculous run of form, and we didn't just beat Minnows to get to this game. 
um, which I know sometimes can be the case. But we knocked three London clubs out of the cup before we played Spurs. We beat Fulham at home in the fourth round. Jay, again, uh, score of this goal that we'll talk about in a moment, scored a really late winner. He, he just kind of dummied the keeper and, and passed it home. And he's only, I think, 18 or 19 at the time. A young lad from the area as well, despite his name. Uh, you might think he's not from Burnley, but if you hear him speak, he sounds more northern than me, which is impressive. Um <laughs> Then after Fulham, we drew Chelsea away, which was like, oh, this will be a good day out. We've not been to Chelsea for years. Managed to take him to penalties, managed to win on penalties. Probably one of the, the best away days. I would imagine most Burnley fans will tell you I wasn't there for that one, I'm afraid. And then, then we drew Arsenal. So after beating two Premier League teams, a third one came to the turf. And this one was probably the most straightforward. We saw them off really easily, 2-0. This was when Arsenal would, would play a team of of kids basically and, and we just had the better of them all game and then at that point we we're in the semi-finals and again that like, this had come out of nowhere and we just we played some teams off the park that were established Premier League Champions League teams so it, it was all very much a dream uh, in the draw for the semi so it was Man United Derby and Spurs and I think the the feeling from Burnley fans was if we get Derby we've got a, a pretty good chance here of getting to Wembley if we get United probably less than even chance Spurs we can continue our capital punishment, which is who we got in the cup. So you mentioned the first leg away at Spurs. Um, I think at half time we were either winning or it was 1-1, but we played incredible. We should have been 3 or 4 nil up. I think we missed some guilt edge chances. And then, would you believe it, you probably never think you'd hear these three words together, but a Jamie O'Hara masterclass um, <laughs> turned the game around. So he came out as a substitute and, and played the game of his life. I, I can't remember if he... He scored, assisted, or a combination of the two. But a flurry of goals and we were 4-1 down and thought, oh, well, that's that's the dream died, but we've had fun along the way sort of thing. Um, yeah, so you were, you were completely was... right in saying that you guys were 1-0 up at half-time. So Patterson had put Burnley ahead after 15 minutes. But goals from uh, Dawson, O'Hara, the aforementioned, uh, Roman Pavlichenko, who will come back in uh, in this story a little bit later on and uh, and Duff own goal and um, four second half goals for Tottenham turned it around after what was obviously a, a good start for Burnley in the first half I, I do just want to say because I forgot to say this earlier I wanted to apologize to the listeners for the quality of the commentary that you heard at the start of this goal because as I alluded to earlier finding a video clip of this goal from Jay Rodriguez for some reason was nigh on impossible for me um, on, on YouTube. So I found a snippet of the commentary that just about tells the story, but not in as much detail as, as we want to go into here. Um, so the goalkeeper for Spurs on the night was uh, Ben Anik, I think is how you say the name. Uh, yeah. A-L-N-W-I-C-K, which is about as weird a pronunciation as you can possibly get. He comes to try and collect the free kick and spills it. And there is the more northern than Matt, Jay Rodriguez. I, I, yeah, I think when he burst onto the scene, there was definitely an assumption that he was foreign. You know, he's, it, the Rodriguez name and Burnley don't necessarily go hand in hand, but Jay Rodriguez volleys this straight into the net. And I'm sure you can talk me through the uh, the pandemonium that went through Turf Moor at that moment. Yeah, so I was I was in the, the, the behind the goal where he scored, but I was on the front row and so far to the side, I was past the touchline. So it was about the, the Turf Moor Stadium is built strangely in the sense that you can be sat in line with the touchline where the ball would go out for throwing and be not even in the far block. Um, but we were on like the, the far seats and it was a horrible, horrible day. The, the rain was 
well, it was sideways. It was January, so it was super cold. Uh, and I remember an old fella to my right with his, what I assume is his grandson, um, probably his first game, but they'd left before the end. So I think they'd left when we were 2-0 up. And fortunately, he's obviously missed, missed the rest of the game. But yeah, when that goal went in, I think, again, I wasn't around when... when um, Britain scored that that famous goal in '87, but when that goal went in, that's probably the goal I've celebrated more than any other because it obviously came late in the game. It it turned, you know, turned the game around. I think there were probably a few Burnley fans who thought that goal meant we'd go to Wembley because of away goals. Um, but I think at half time, a few of us had been chatting in the concourse that we knew that it would go to extra time, and that's when away goals would count, which is a really stupid rule. And I think they only really introduced that to make sure that if there was a situation like this, they could make sure that the big team had more time to beat the little team. Yeah, but it's a terrible rule. I'm not going to. Yeah, it was something that everyone agreed to before it, so we only had an issue after it affected us. But still, it, it still kind of made it a little mean-spirited I suppose at the end but to be honest I'd like to talk through the other goals because it was definitely the worst goal of the three <laughs> no, um, please go ahead <laughs> I, the, I watched the, the highlights so I totally agree but <laughs> yeah I mean the other two could easily have made it I mean Robbie Blake is probably the best player I've seen play for Burnley with the exception of maybe a couple in the more recent era but he's a, a really tricky forward for us um, later played on the left wing and we had him in two spells um, super good balance, like I suppose like an Eden Hazard, low centre of gravity, keeps the ball tight to his feet. Didn't have any pace, and I guess that's probably why he didn't make it be much beyond the um, championship. He had a few spells at Wigan and, and Birmingham um, and Leeds before he returned back to us. But Robbie had an incredible season, and this was probably his best ever game for us. So the first goal, I think, was about halfway through the first half. We got a free kick. In the opposite end, so we were, I was watching the goal go in the net rather than seeing it come at me. Probably too far out, really, to, to properly have a go. I think felt like about 30 yards, slightly right of goal, but he bent it straight over the wall into the top right corner. Ben Anik, as, as you said, nowhere to be found. So a stupendous goal within its own right, um, let alone for the context of the game. Took us to half time. And then in the second half, right in front of us, on the byline, so he, was, he dribbled past a couple of players, ran along the line, so it would have obviously gone out for a goal kick if he miscontrolled it, took it past another player and then did all the work, squared it, and I think it was Chris McCann ran in and, and scored from five or six yards out, but the, the way he turned those players, like, if, if Messi did that, it would be, you would not struggle to find <laughs> a YouTube video of it, basically. And that obviously set us up, so suddenly there was like 20 minutes to go, and hang on, we could do this, we just need one more goal, and to be fair, Spurs were awful that day. As good as they were in the second half in the first leg, they were awful all game. I think they played quite a weak team. They probably expected to breeze through the game and maybe losing 1-0 wouldn't be the end of the, the world for them. We then scored the goal that you mentioned. So the long ball into the box, Ben Anik can't handle it. And Jay, again, a bit like in Britain, Johnny on the spot, gets the ball first, just blasts it into the net. And again, pandemonium, falling over the seats, nearly fell onto the pitch. The whole stadium was just rocking after that. And I think, unfortunately, quite a few of the fans thought that that was the goal that would send us to Wembley. Wasn't aware of extra time. And there were probably a few, um, at the time, happy cheers at full time that obviously they realised that the players weren't celebrating. Um, took us to extra time. And in extra time, you could see Spurs had a bit of a rocket up them uh, by Redknapp in the dressing room. And they, they really put us under the caution. Unfortunately, Two minutes to go, Roman Pavlyuchenko broke those Burnley hearts. And I remember some um, 
some Burnley bloke did a YouTube video and it was him playing acoustic guitar, singing a song. And I, I can't remember all the lyrics. So I'm certainly not going to sing them now, but the, the final <laughs> line was, you broke my heart, Roman Pavlyuchenko. Um, and then Defoe <laughs> scored in the very last minute to make it um, 3-2 on the night. And and it would have been 7-5 or something on aggregate, 6-4 on aggregate. So yeah, it wasn't wasn't the fairy tale ending, but I think the feeling that I got when that goal went in will never... I don't believe be matched. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the sad moment of when, you know, doing my research and realizing how this goal ended up, I guess, and we hinted at it earlier, the the sadness of it not actually taking you to Wembley is is somewhat of a travesty. But, I, and, you know, my, my, my follow-up question is always, does the unfortunate ending in any way dull the moment of the goal itself? But clearly you've already said, you know, the, the, the moment itself is is worth it, even even for the unfortunate ending for Owen Coyle to be accomplishing this and you know some things we're going to get to later on uh in, at the start of his time here th- that moment must have just been a, a pure outpouring of emotion and I am stunned and annoyed thinking back at it now that that wasn't the goal that sent you to Wembley on the away goals rule because in all honesty it absolutely should have been yeah I think it's easy to say we should have gone through but I think in a way it probably gave the players a little bit more fire in the belly when it came to the the league. And we're we're doing all right in the league at this point. We're about mid-table. So relegation was not on the cards and, you know, outside chat of a promotion. Um, And I think when it got down to it, it probably gave them a little bit of extra hunger. So who's to say we didn't go to the the final, probably lose and then fall away a bit in the league and, and a lot of other things wouldn't have happened. So I think it, probably gave us that spirit that we need and I think it also showed the fans you know we're we're legit we can do this we can beat teams if we can beat Spurs 3-0 at home if we can beat Chelsea and we can beat Arsenal then we can beat anyone in this division and we can get promoted Wade Elliott he has that change of pace and he's got away from Montgomery into the path of McCann the challenge and the follow-up finds the net what a strike from Wade Elliott a bolt from the claret and blue okay goal number three for Matt and in what's becoming a bit of a theme here on the podcast we are at Wembley for a championship playoff final Uh, as I'm sure you can understand if you know the the importance of the championship playoff final to any club that plays in it. It's not a surprise that we are getting a lot of goals selected from this particular game across the years. And this is May of 2009, just a few months after our last goal and the uh, unfortunate Tottenham late comeback at Turf Moor. And this is Burnley against Sheffield United for a place in the Premier League. There's 80,000 people in attendance at Wembley. Mike Dean is the referee, so you know it's a big game. And after just 13 minutes, Wade Elliott scores probably the goal of his life, I think it's fair to say. A good player by all accounts, but the, this this caliber of finish in this moment with the importance that it leads to for Burnley is simply incredible. Burnley had to you know, fight, as, as you've said previously, uh, Matt, to get into the playoffs this season and to find a way to give themselves a chance of getting to the Premier League, having finished fifth in the league uh, 
four points behind Sheffield United, who were third and, you know, fell foul of the playoff system. Burnley managed to get to the final by beating Reading, who were there, who had just finished above them. 3-1 over two legs. And then Burnley made it to the final. And obviously, like we said, Sheffield United, who themselves had a good team. Players like Craig Beatty, Paddy Kenny, Kyle Norton, who would all have or had had Premier League careers in the past. Lee Hendry on their bench as well. But Burnley get the job done. And it's Wade Elliott's goal. So, Matt, I understand the reasons without you even saying a word. But... Talk me through this goal being on your list. It's an incredible strike from Wade Elliott. He picks the ball up initially on the halfway line, beats a couple of men, tries to feed it through to the striker on the edge of the box, who I think tries to feed it to Thompson, I think, or maybe Patterson. And then it gets cut back to him. And Blake puts it in the top corner past the helpless Paddy Kenny. What a moment. What a goal. Matt, take me to Wembley. What 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 was this moment like for you? Yeah, this was incredible. I mean, I was I was 18 years old at the time. It was my first trip to Wembley as a Burnley fan. Big family day out. Mum and dad went. Both brothers came. Uh, we went on the coach. So that was, I think that was the first time for me as well. Actually, no, it was the first time since I went on the coach to Scunthorpe and saw us lose 1-0. Um, <laughs> so much happier ending this time. So it, it was it was just a great occasion, um, as you can imagine, like just like an FA Cup final. And I guess... Again, I know many of your listeners will be American. This is probably as close as you get to the Super Bowl. Obviously not the top level, but the prize at the end of it is so great. I think they called it the £100 million game yeah. at the time. Um, it's certainly grown in significance and value since then. Um, but really, this gives a club a chance to set itself up, especially a club like Burnley, set itself, set itself up for decades. And that's exactly what happened. I suppose we went into the game, I would say... Sheffield United were favourites, probably not heavy favourites. We'd actually beaten them home and away in the League 1-0. But I think they, they had a much more established team. A lot of our team were either relatively unheard of or they'd not really done that much in the career up to this point. You mentioned Wade Elliott. He'd had a fairly okay career at this point, nothing special. And he'd, he'd only been okay and good for us, us rather than great. But it just felt that season we had the best out of everyone. Everyone was playing to the best of their ability and that really goes down to Owen Coyle he, he certainly proved over his entire career that he had a lot of faults but the way he got that team playing for him was just great to witness and obviously it, it finished at Wembley that season I think that the goal itself is probably probably the best or maybe the second best goal technique wise in the list um, maybe like 22 or 23 yards out but the way he just passes it in the top corner he doesn't put his foot through it the ball just rolls straight to him he has a look up and he can see it can get it in the corner before Hanneman can get there um, it wasn't Hanneman was it, it was was it um, Paddy Kenny Paddy Kenny, Paddy Kenny yeah Paddy Kenny yeah it was, Hanneman was a, the semi which I will mention um, and he just kind of passes it into the top corner casual as you like and I remember um, after the game, he wanted to run to the other side because he'd scored in the Sheffield United end. Um, he wanted to run to the other side of the stadium to his um, family, but he got about 20 yards in and just thought, <laughs> it's, it's so hot, I'm not going to be able to do that. And he just pointed at them. And obviously, yeah, sent the sent the Burnley fans into into raptures. And it was a sh- just a shame it was so early in the game because we had such a long time then to wait for the, the rest of the game to finish. And to be honest, I think there were moments when it was on a bit of a knife edge and, and they probably could and should have scored. But same same with us. 
Um, but I think given the team that they had, they had young Kyle Walker at right back on loan. Um, they still had some pretty well-established players from the time in the Prem. And I think the fans had, like, I, I don't want to speak ill at all because the, the fans were fine. We never never had any trouble or anything. But you just got this air walking around Wembley before the game that they thought that we were just there to make up the numbers. It was a nice day out for us, but get out of our way. We, we're going back to where we belong in the Prem. So it was kind of nice to upset the apple cart a little bit there as well. But I think that whole run, the whole season was was great and it, it definitely took on a new meaning after that loss that we had with Spurs um, and as I said I think in a way it gave them more encouragement and more belief that one they deserved to be there in terms of the quality but also it was like some kind of destiny that we needed to get to Wembley because we were never really in touch with the top two for the last 10 games or so we we're hanging around that fifth sixth seventh spot um, and we managed to finish quite strong. But the, the semi-final as well against Reading was huge. The home game, we, we played pretty poorly, to be honest. I, I don't think we deserved to win that game. And we got a lucky penalty at the end. Um, Andre BK inexplicably pulled back Thompson, I think it was, in the box. Biggest shirt play you've ever seen, but also Thompson saw it really well. Um, if you think of like the pass interference penalties you might see in, in the NFL. Um, it was 100% penalty either way. But then BK's reaction to the penalty was to take his shirt off and he went ballistic got sent off second yellow missed the second leg and we ended up well, signing took, him he took we his shirt off well. because he got booked I think he was so distraught with the penalty <laughs> which again was blatant his reaction was anger and then he took his shirt off and barely managed it as well he did the old Balotelli and got it stuck um, <laughs> then got another booking I think for the reaction sent off missed the second leg we scored the penalty and then in the second leg it was kind of half time nil nil felt a little bit tetchy and then two two of the best goals you'll ever see if you get chance to to watch them please do um patterson was the first one he kind of gets the ball on halfway dribbles forward a bit defenders are backing off and he's right footed he just switches it to his left foot and it must be 30 35 yards out maybe smashes it with his left foot and it just skies into the top left hand corner beats hanneman and then about three three minutes later burnley fans still singing celebrating the goal Long ball forward, Thompson chests it, volleys it first time, up, bar, in. And and at that moment, it was 2-0, 3-0 in aggregate. I think it finished 3-0, not 3-1. We knew we were going to Wembley at that point. And I think, again, if I'd have been there, I was in the pub, actually, for that one. And not to a couple of pints over when we scored the second. But um, if I'd have been there for that one, that probably would have been on this list as well. So it was it was the end of like what was an incredible season. Came out of the blue. Um, and obviously, the, the final score, 1-0. We, we got promotion, got to celebrate at Wembley. It's the only time I've seen us at Wembley. And I hope if we go back, it's it's a similar outcome. It's an incredible you know goal and it's an incredible day for any club who, who gets the chance to get to the Premier League at that point. Something I did like in researching the game is that Sheffield United brought on Jamie Ward as a 58th-minute sub and he got two yellows in the space of four minutes and was off less than 20 minutes later. Do you remember that? Yeah, it was, um, I think... I think they were both handballs um, as well. Or maybe it was a diver handball. I mean, it wasn't best liked, I think, by the majority of fans either. He had a bit of a rep for that. And I'm pretty sure they had um, Lee Hendry got sent off as well. It might have been after the game. Uh-huh. But it definitely it descended into... Um, you could tell the, the the players were getting frustrated and angry, uh, you know, as, as you can imagine at the end of the season. But they probably didn't react to it as, as they would have liked. Um, it was 33 years. Sorry, there's... Um, there's another stat in terms of how many years it's been since we'd beaten Blackburn at one point that's very similar, so get mm-hmm. them mixed up. But yeah, 33 years away from the top flight, so very much a watershed moment. I remember 
Uh, my dad, if, if he listens to this, and I hope he does, I'm pretty sure I saw him shed a tear. He wasn't blubbing or anything, but you could tell it, it got to him. And obviously seen us at the top and the bottom. So to get back to that top division again was something really meaningful to the fans who'd experienced it all. I'd obviously seen us quite late in the traje- trajectory. I'd seen us nearly get relegated, but I was too old really to realise, but I'd only really experienced promotion. So... If I felt that, if it felt that special to me, I can imagine for my dad it would have felt even more, and my brothers. Yeah, well, Mr. Lane, we won't, uh, we won't in any way uh, mock your shedding of a tear because if there's ever a day which is uh, very fair to be shedding a tear, it's definitely the the winning of the the playoff final at Wembley. I mean, it's an incredibly special moment, and it's not something that many clubs get to do. And equally, I guess you've spent the whole ninety minutes on edge of thinking what are the tears going to be like if we don't win and if it goes the other way? And yeah. Obviously, you were ahead for most of the game, but do you remember this being stressful? Did you feel comfortable at any point, really? No, and I think that's just a common theme, being the Burnley fan. Never take anything for granted, um, <laughs> whether you're 5-0 up, 1-0 up, whether you're favourites or not. And I think the way we played that season was it was kind of strange. We had a really good back four. We had Carlisle and Colwell, our two centre-backs, really solid. Um, but we had a lot of verve going forward. I think we had the best of like the forward players and the hard-working like, defensive players, but certainly wasn't a Daesh-like defence. If we went 1-0 up against most teams under Daesh, I would not be concerned at all about us throwing that lead away. But it was a very difficult watch, especially as the minutes kind of drew on. You know, They had a few chances later on, and, and the goalkeeper Jensen made some, some really good saves trying to bleed the game out but you could just I think you could feel with five minutes to go that their heart had gone and we were just you know playing keep ball so it was one of those things where you think oh it must be 85 minutes now and you look and it's 83 and you're like <laughs> it was 82 when I last looked that can't be right um but thankfully we we kind of endured it and got through and, and got the result in the end Let's see if Burnley can develop a ball here on that far side with me. Needs support. Gets it from Arfield. Good cross in there again. It's evaded. Everybody has it. Wallace has a shot. Has another chance in there. Stabs it back inside. Will it fall for Ings? It will! 2-1 to Burnley! 25 for the season for Danny Ings! The game has turned on its head and Danny Ings has got it! Big goal for Burnley. Blackburn Rovers won. Burnley 2. Danny Ings with a goal. Okay, goal number four for Matt and this one is one that I'm sure Matt will explain is close to his heart um, in a big local rivalry in the north of England Burnley are away from home against Blackburn Rovers in 2014 in the championship as Burnley are looking to try and regain promotion back to the Premier League this game goes back and forth Blackburn take the early lead after 24 minutes through Jordan Rhodes who himself is a Proven pretty good goal scorer at that level. But Burnley turn it around, an equaliser from Shackle after 73 minutes. And then the star of this Burnley team for a little while, who's gone on to do really good things for other clubs as well, Danny Ings scores the winner with a little over 10 minutes to play. And this breaks a long-running hoodoo of Burnley being unable to win at Blackburn Rovers at Ewood Park and continues to help spur Burnley on to their eventual re-promotion to the Premier League. Matt, you'll be able to tell me a little bit more about 
this rivalry itself. So I know you mentioned Blackburn earlier on as a team that was in the Premier League when you were growing up and Burnley and Blackburn don't like each other. But for people who may not be aware of the rivalry, explain to me just why they are such best of enemies, shall we say? Yeah, I mean, let's get this straight. We we don't call them what you say. We call them bastard rovers. They never get called <laughs> the other word. Um, it's always bastard rovers. I think as a club, and it's it's definitely reciprocated the the hatred, I suppose you would say. But really, I would say most other rivalries. If you think of all the big rivalries in in the UK. The one thing they have that we don't is they get the chance to exercise that energy. You know, United play Liverpool twice a year. United play City twice a year. Celtic play Rangers twice a year. Even some of the other teams, you know, Birmingham, Villa, they play each other often enough to kind of let that energy loose. We we don't play Blackburn very often. Um, oh, sorry. We don't play Bastards very often. <laughs> there was... Um, <laughs> At this point, so this is important, as you said, because we had a long, long period where we didn't beat them. Um, I think it was 34 years or something crazy. But in that period, we only we only played them like 9, 10, 11 times. Um, quite a few of them were in the back end of the 70s when we were terrible. Um, and then we didn't play from... We had a couple of times in the Cup where, and a couple of times in the league when they, they battered us. But really, both clubs throughout the history, when one's doing well, the other tends you know to be down on the look Blackburn had really really good history in like the 1800s um the eight sorry not 1800s 1890s early 1900s um we were kind of good 20s through the 60s and Blackburn were, were kind of terrible then so it's like as one club does well the other does badly and it's kind of continued until present day when we're finally in the same division yeah so I was I was living as I said in Accrington um, I lived there most of my life and it was probably like 10% Burnley, maybe 30-40% Blackburn, and the rest would all have been United-Liverpool. Um, I went to college in Blackburn. Um, I went to school in Billington, which is near Blackburn. Um, got a lot of crap for being a Burnley fan. Nothing nothing too you know, abusive or anything, but Blackburn fans did like take, at taking shots at Burnley fans. And if you met another Burnley fan, you know, it, it felt good. And you'd, you'd certainly stop and say, you know, where'd you sit? Do you go on? what do you think of so-and-so whereas I would imagine if you walk past the United fan you probably wouldn't stop to say hello because you just assume they're wearing it for fashion um <laughs> in the family as well so like my my dad obviously was a Burnley fan both my brothers my mum my mum's side of the family so she had two brothers two sisters were I wouldn't say they were hardcore Blackburn fans but they were definitely on the Blackburn side I think they started following them after they bought the league won the league bought the league in 1995 um, with Jack Walker so it was more of like a, a passing fancy let's say um, some of them are still like you know hardcore Blackman fans and fair play to them for that but it was very much split down the middle and when we had Christmas gatherings there was often a lot of you know finger pointing between the, the dads and uncles and it, it never got heated or anything you know it's just friendly banter but for, for me we were always we were always in the shadow of Blackman because they were doing so well in the 90s and they were in the Prem established Premier League team you know won a League Cup, things like that, um, all off the back of, of Jack Walker's investment in the 90s. Meanwhile, we were, you know, dropping like a stone, getting beat by Hereford, and, and it was very much like we were the, the poor relation, I guess. And that's what all the people of my age around that time would were seeing, you know, they were just seeing Burnley with this crap lower league team, where this Premier League team, it would be like comparing, say, Stoke and Port Vale 10 years ago or something. 
So for us to finally be on a level playing field with them in the championship was great. But I think leading up to this game, we'd already played them twice, I think, in the league or maybe three times, three times and drawn every game. And each one of them was a last minute equaliser. The first one was us. And we, we didn't play well that game, but Vox got a late goal. And then the next two were both horrible Blackburn goals right at the end. The, the first one of the two was a misplaced back pass that was latched onto and scored. I was on holiday when that, that went in and I managed to find the only bar in wherever I was, Tunisia or something, that had another <laughs> Blackburn fan in it. So that was horrible because that was 1-1. And then even worse than that, so it was the same season as this, reverse fixture at Turf Moor. I was um, I was at university at the time, so I couldn't make that game. And I was working as well um, at, at Pizza Hut. So I went in the, the kitchen to check my phone right at the end of the game. We're winning 1-0, playing really well. And then in the 93rd minute or something, David Dunn, who's from Blackburn, a local guy, scored um, to equalise into the Blackburn fans. And if you watch this goal, he is literally two yards offside I'm not even like joking I don't know what the linesman was doing there is no one anywhere near him and he just pops up at the back post from the saved shot so that's even worse um so coming to this game we'd had three goals to beat them and we didn't manage it so obviously it's been it's been difficult to try and find a win against Blackburn the enemies I I, I have to say Blackburn in the interest of fairness I just apologize first and foremost and then obviously we get the equalizer and the goal itself is a little bit of a scrappy affair in the box. It's kind of bouncing around and falls to Danny Ings. And I, I kind of really enjoy the way it goes in, kind of off the goalkeeper's legs. And there's a bit of a, just a bit of a scramble and a chaos to it themselves. But that's exactly what Danny Ings has made his, you know, living off, is finding ways to be in the right place at the right time and tuck the ball away. You can see the pocket of Burnley fans behind the goal go absolutely crazy as the ball hits the net. Blackburn players obviously dejected. What what are your memories of of, of Danny Ings himself? You know, be, obviously this goal first and foremost, but then what Danny Ings meant to uh, meant to Burnley for a little while there. Yeah, he, he was a, a fantastic player for us, and he's gone on to have a good career. Probably blighted by injury, I think, without some of the injuries he had when he went to Liverpool, um, he could he could have been international for England. I think he might have made one cap. Um, or got close to it before I get injured, but he was really good for us. We had a such a good run of prolific goal scoring forwards right from you know when I first started watching us in like early two thousands. We always had a, a twenty goal season striker, and they always got sold in January or at the end of the season. So with with Ings, uh, we brought him in from Bournemouth. Eddie Howe um, brought him in, I believe. Um, but again, he, he couldn't really get much out of him. I, th- I think he was injured for the majority of the time when when I was there, which wasn't long. Um, and when Dash came in, we we had Vox as well. I think might have also been a Hal Loney or a, a full signing. And the pair of them just lit up the league. I think they got over forty goals between them. Um, Ing scoring the majority, but Vox getting his fair share as well. Um, but he was such a, a fox in the box, instinctive player. Um, really intelligent, I would say, made such brilliant runs. And that, that's what has really, I believe, kept him um, in a decent standard even at this stage in his career. He's never been the fastest. He had a, a decent turn of pace, but I think his intelligence in the box is unparalleled, especially amongst the strikers that we had. Um, and he just worked really well with Vox. But I mean, the goal, as you say, was a scruffy goal, you would say. Um, right place, right time. Again, that's probably three out of the four we've, we've discussed have been very much like that. Um, and it's probably quite similar to the Rodriguez one, but I think after we got the equaliser, 
because it looked until that point that they were going to beat us and, and this would have really put a dent in our promotion title and probably pulled them nearer to the playoffs because we were kind of trying to cement ourselves in the top two and they were flirting with the top six and there was probably a month, maybe six weeks of the season left. So it was getting to the you know, the end of the marathon really. Um, so to turn that around was, was just incredible. As you said, the, the away fans went, ballistic I, I can imagine that if I was there I, I wasn't as I say I was um I was at university again at the time and I was actually in a bar in Edinburgh when this game happened with with a couple of mates um I just planned that trip um badly but I remember getting there it was at like a half 12 kickoff on a Sunday and I said to the landlord can you can you put the Burnley game on he didn't even know who Burnley was probably couldn't tell what I was saying <laughs> but he ended up getting it on on a second screen so they must have had two two signals from Sky and the the main game that was being I'll have to find it the main game that we put on with the commentary was some Scottish League Cup game uh, like Wraith Rovers against Albion or something um, and I was like can you not put the commentary on there was just two two old duffers in a booth watching I was like fair enough um, and when when Rhodes got the first goal I nearly threw my drink on the floor because I was so frustrated with how poorly we were playing I managed to stop it but I, I probably said a few profanities and the guy said if you if you carry on like that mate you're gonna have to go I was like fair enough mate I'll try and keep a lid on it but yeah obviously we turned it around um incredible like performance I think you could just see once once we got the second one the transfer of energy from the players onto the pitch and then vice versa for, for the Blackman players was like palpable you could see them all physically drop to the ground there was 10 minutes left so they still had time to win but you could just tell this is the moment and this is the time that we're gonna make that scalp that we we've been wanting for so long and after after so long it's completely worth it getting that victory over the rivals um i, I guess you must have you know enjoyed their spiral from premier league elite i guess to to where they are now and are they still by far and by far and away your your biggest, I guess, enemy in the first fixture you look for every season? Uh, in, in, in one word, yes. I think there was a period when Preston were probably our, our main rivals. So Preston's um, as far away as Blackburn, and then again, so about maybe fifteen to twenty miles further along. Um, I never really cared about Preston. Like, it was always nice to beat them, and, and it was the Lancashire we had. But I would have lost to them. 20 times if a man beating Blackburn once and and really you know I don't like Leeds really but I don't really care about anyone but Blackburn um, and they might argue differently but I think most Blackburn fans would say the same and it's just the proximity of the clubs as I say the lack of getting out of your system and to your point about the the spiral like I, I took great joy in seeing that because <laughs> as a Burnley fan like we had to kind of fight for everything we got you know we, we didn't have a lot and everything we achieved I felt was through skill and hard work which is Blackburn's Latin motto is skill and hard work <laughs> ironic because the most recent trophies were neither well they were skill and hard work but they were paid for you know mm. in in the millions so to see them have a leg up um, is a polite way of putting it to to win some trophies really kind of was a, a kick in the nuts for us. We were, we were like the person who worked hard all the life, had a modest house, modest car, never really got a break. And then you, your neighbour, just lazy, doesn't doesn't want to do anything, wins the lottery, buys a nice house, buys a nice car. And you kind of feel like if there's some justice in the world. So really, like what, what I would like to see for Blackburn is them drop all the way down like we did. I don't <laughs> want them to go out of existence. Like I want them to be there. But 
I think I would find solace and I would find a respect for Blackburn fans if they had to do what we did. Speaking, as I said, I, I, I've not had to experience that, but I have seen us you know, have to play teams like Torquay, Wrexham, Stockport, teams that you wouldn't even think of now. But they dropped as low as League One. They had one season down there, had a bit of fun and got back up. So it's we're in a position now where we're definitely a better team than them. I think in the table, it's pretty close. But they're, they're just kind of hanging around. I, w- I want them to be in another division for, to us for 10, 20 years and then see what they're like after that because I don't think that they could bounce back as strong as we did. For Westwood to help it on Wood. Ooh, Rodriguez getting away here. Oh, oh what, a goal. what a goal! What a goal from Jay Rodriguez! He loves it here! A left foot corker! And Burnley have extended their advantage. High a goal and he thumped it home left footed. What a goal from Jay Rodriguez! Okay, we've made it through to Matt's fifth and final goal. And this is one that might be quite cathartic for me personally, uh, because it very much comes at my expense in making Matt exceptionally happy. So this is January of 2020, just a few months before the uh, COVID shutdown that we could not have seen coming even at that point, really. And this is Burnley in the Premier League. The first goal that we've had on the list of Burnley in the Premier League, and it's at Old Trafford, as Jay Rodriguez gives Burnley a 2-0 win against Manchester United, a hapless Manchester United in some ways, um, with Harry Maguire and Phil Jones at centre-back, and the less I say about those two, the better. But an unbelievable finish from Jay Rodriguez as he rifles a left-footed shot off the underside of the bar and in, Chris Wood had given Burnley a lead in the first half just a few minutes before half-time. But this Rodriguez goal is absolutely the jewel in the crown. And this, I remember, as being one of the uh, darker nights of that season for sure. I vividly remember being working in a pub uh, in North London during this game. It was not the TV game, so I could not watch it, which was probably uh, a good thing in, uh, in hindsight's sake. But Matt, I... You know, again, this is Jay Rodriguez making his second opinion, second appearance, excuse me, uh, on this list. Firstly, about Jay specifically, just where does he rank in terms of your all-time kind of Burnley players for you? And then take me through your your memories of this goal. Yeah, I mean, is the fact he's from the town is is huge. It's it's a small town. We don't produce a lot of players. Most of our academy, um, at least the academy players that make it are not from Burnley, but we'll snap them up from elsewhere. Um, similar age to me as well. I want, Once I went to school with him or anything, but if we did attend the same school, we would have been, I think, a year apart. And it was just good for us to see a, a local lad in the team. Um, he's really the only proper player. We had a, a, a lad called Richard Chapler who played for West Brom as well for a while before Jay, but it was just great to have that presence in the squad. Um, and like I said, if you catch one of his post-match interviews, he's... Um, He's got a really good Burnley accent. You'd never believe he was called Jay Rodriguez. And it was especially nice when there was um, James Rodriguez because <laughs> Jay Rodriguez as the initial would be a totally different player once when James was uh, in his pump. But yeah, he's, he definitely, I think, would be quite an iconic Burnley player. Um, yeah, I mean, his goal-scoring record for us was excellent. That's, that's why he got snapped up. At a young age, he was putting 20 goals away in the championship, I think, for two seasons in a row before he got his move to Southampton. And when that happened, like there wasn't a Burnley fan who begrudged him of that. You know, he 
he needed to move on to further his career. Um, and again, just as he was hitting probably a rich vein of form in the Premier League, um, he had a bad injury and that probably meant he never played, or he put pay to any international hops he would have had. Um, but I mean, he's carved out most of his career in the Premier League, most recently with us um, when he returned, I think three years ago, we signed him from West Brom. Um, and he's obviously stayed with the club now. He's still our leading lead the line up front. I think he must be 32, 33 now, um, signed another two-year contract. But he's he's very much Mr. Burnley. Um, and you can see when he scores, it means so much to him. Even even now, even the you know the third goal in the 3-0 win means just as much to him as that goal against Spurs. Um, and his reaction to this as well is just... Mm-hmm. He, he's, he's as surprised as anyone in the stadium that he's done that. Um, and that's that's a very Jay Rodriguez reaction, I think. I love the knee slide. Uh, you know, again, it, it, it's it's a great celebration first and foremost, but he executes it perfectly. Looks very calm in the face, and then you get the explosion of emotion as his teammates kind of mob him. The, the goal itself is unbelievable. Um, it's an incredible strike. Little interplay between him and uh, Chris Wood beforehand, who were you know a pretty good partnership. And you have to mention Ashley Barnes in that rotation as well for sure. Uh, but as Wood flicks it back to him, he takes a touch past Harry Maguire, stood still like a fridge, and bang, in off the underside of the crossbar. De Gea with, to be fair, absolutely no chance. Just an incredible goal. It's definitely the best goal of the five um, and, and lives up to the billing in that regard. We were we were there, so I, I got a ticket to the game. At this point, um, I've lived in Manchester for about three or four years through work. So I lived in the city centre, worked with a lot of United fans. And met a few Burnley fans as well that had been from Burnley but now lived in Manchester like myself. So we'd formed a little fraternity really. And, and as I said, if you pass someone in the street in Manchester with a Burnley shirt on, you have to stop and at least say up the clarets or something. <laughs> we went to the game. I think there were five or six of us by that point. And we've, we've got a little Manchester clarets um, supporters group now. I think about 33 or 34 strong. That's great. I love um, that. So it's growing every time. Burnley fans are everywhere, would you believe? Um, but yeah, at the time there were, I think five or six of us went after work. It was mid- midweek, I think a Wednesday. Um, so we got the tram over. Um, it was the second time at Old Trafford. So I'd been about four or five years earlier to watch a nil nil. Um, that was nice because I was in the, uh, hospitality through work and it was, um, uh, you might remember, but it was the game where there was a ball over to the back post and, Ibrahimovic does this ridiculous overhead kick. Probably must have left his boot at 100 mile an hour, and Heaton jumps up near post, spread eagle, and it hits his arm. And after the game, he said, "I thought I'd broken it. it hit my arm that hard." Um, but that was the goalkeeping performance for the ages. But yeah, so my second trip to Old Trafford uh, with my friends this time, and my dad had managed to get a ticket in the Stratford end through a friend who just had a spare ticket, so he had to sit on his hands to watch us to watch us get that goal. The power he put through it and the accuracy again. I think you'll not see a cleaner strike. Um, if you if he hit that a hundred times, he would put it in the stand probably ninety of those times at least. Um, and he just hit it so sweetly. And I think goals that hit the bar and go in just look so much better. And also he hit it with such venom. And it, it kind of it was a chance out of nothing. Three seconds before that, we had the ball in an unthreatening position, but just a quick movement. It was one of those goals where you can hear the ball hit the net for a split second before the roar, and that that was obviously something amazing to be a part of. And it was one of those classic limbs moments that you get on social media now. You know, people falling over. I I had like bruises on my shins for about a year after from hitting the seats in front 
falling over and, and celebrating with everybody. So, I mean, for us, we'd, we'd done two games in a row the last two seasons before that Old Trafford, gone 2-0 up, drawn 2-2. So, even at 2-0, we were like, OK, let's not get giddy, though. There's still 40 minutes to go, wherever it was. Um, but, I mean, after that, I think United had no chance. And we, we'd learned, I guess, and we became that defensive shell that we we became well known for, well known for under Daesh. Uh, and really, there was no no chance after that of United coming back. As you say, it was a pretty poor period in, in United's history. Um, and it was one of those moments where no one really feared going to, to Old Trafford anymore. Um, and we certainly didn't. Obviously, walked away with all the points as well. Yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna in any way try and uh, undersell the achievement of the Burnley win by lamenting how bad the United team was. But the uh, the United lineup is a, a sight to behold with a, a three of Mata, Pereira, and Daniel James behind Martial up front. So the the less said about that, the better. But like you mentioned yourself, you know, the two seasons before that, I remember vividly as well. Burnley being two 0 up and United managing to scrape two two draws. Jesse Lingard got two one time and Victor Lindelof yeah. got a last minute equaliser the other time, I think. So Burnley have had success, not just against United, but specifically at Old Trafford. Is that obviously with the local proximity? I'm guessing that that's another one that you, you look forward to when, when that comes up on, on the list. And then I guess as a, as a byproduct of that, just out of interest, obviously United have had a sustained period of success over, you know, 30 years at this point, generally. How do you feel about United versus City as a as a Burnley fan? Is is the Man City, you know, kind of what you said, similar to what Blackburn did earlier in terms of buying their way to success, or does City just not bother you whatsoever? Um, I think my general attitude to football is I don't really care about anyone other than Burnley. I'm quite selfish in that way. Um, I would rather watch us play Grimsby in the cup than Champions League semi final between Real Madrid and Barcelona, but I'm kind of leaning on the fence in the side of, yeah, it's like Blackburn, really. They've kind of, I wouldn't say cheated, but they've they've hit, struck the lottery, I guess. They've they've struck goal with the ownership. It could have gone one of a hundred ways. And plenty of clubs have had terrible ownerships that's like condemned them for a while. Um, similar to Newcastle, I feel like what it's done is it's elevated a club to a position it wouldn't shouldn't naturally hold. But I think as I've got older as well, on the flip side, you could say that if the Premier League had come in 10 years before it did, would Man United be the club they are now? United were the biggest club when the money started rolling in. So in a way, there's luck on both sides, but it just feels a little artificial is the word I'd use for it. I don't really mind City. I don't care. And, and all the City fans I know are genuine City fans, so it's hard for me to begrudge them any success. But if... I would love to say that if that was me, if Burnley got taken over by some Russian oligarch and bought loads of international players and bankrolled us to the Premier League, I don't know if I could celebrate those moments the same way. Like, Don't get me wrong, getting relegated is crap and I don't want to be watching us lose against Birmingham away midweek, but when we do achieve stuff, it feels so much more genuine. So I don't wish any ill will to City really, but it does feel a little false in a way and I'm sure City fans will say well you know take what you can and, and fair play to them but it, I, I do look upon them not with envy but more like I, I, I feel sorry for them in a way because I do feel like the apart from the genuine fans who sat through the crap and they were in the third division with us for a while and our relationship with City as a club is quite funny because we sing this chant and I'm sure everyone sings it to City where were you when you were shit 
to which City fans sing, beating you when we were shit, <laughs> to which Burnley fans sing, oh yeah, and then shut up. And I don't know why we don't learn from that mistake, but they used to batter us whether we're in third division or the top division. Um, so we, we have played them quite a bit over the years. But yeah, I think it does feel a little a little false. But again, like in the moment, you're not going to celebrate any less because you're wondering who's paid for the forward that scored the goal. Okay, that's Matt's list. We've made it through his five Desert Island goals, a tour of... Burnley as a club and very enjoyable it was too. So we started with Ian Britton in the Orient game of 1987. We had Jay Rodriguez against Tottenham in the Carling Cup semi-final second leg in 2009. Wade Elliott's winner in the Championship playoff final against Sheffield United in 09 as well. Danny Ings finally getting a win over Rovers in 2014. And Jay Rodriguez with that unbelievable finish to defeat Manchester United in 2020. Matt, it's a great list. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. It's been wonderful to learn a little bit more about Burnley as a club. I know you mentioned previously you had some honourable mentions and we always give our guests a chance to shout those out. One that I was maybe expecting to see on this list that wasn't here is the Robbie Blake winner against Manchester United against Turf Moor, at Turf Moor in 2009-10. I know you said that there was times when you weren't really in with the Burnley fans at that point. Um I'm sorry for giving you an honourable mention there myself, but uh, take me through which ones you uh, you would like to shout out as honourable mentions. Yeah, that is top of my honourable mentions. And the only reason it doesn't make the cut is because I wasn't in the stadium. I, I watched it on um, a stream. Um, I couldn't get a ticket to the game. That, that season, we pretty much sold all our season tickets and you got a free one if you were a season to call of the year before. So it was pretty much mm. impossible. And it was like between college and uni, so I was pretty skint. So for me, as amazing as that was, and again, a, a beautifully struck volley at the near post, and that, that really kind of te- put the, the cherry on top for Blake, who, as I said, the season before when we got promoted, had a, an amazing season. It was just great to see him kind of announce Burnley on the world stage in such style. And, and that was a United team that won the league the year before, I think. There was a missed penalty in the second half. Or, no, it was the first half, I think, because it was in the other end. Um, so it was a goal that eventually won the game, but it was such a ferocious strike. And again, Blake possesses that technique, so it was great to see him do that in front of you know the the watching fans because I think this was a Monday night game. Um, it was our second game, but the first home game in the Premier League and the first home game in the top flight for thirty odd years. So very fitting for him to to batter that one home and the the commentary as well. I think it might have been Martin Tyler, but it's it still I can still hear him saying, that's class, Premier League class. And again, the fact that you remember that is part of the the fact of it being such a, an amazing moment in Burnley's history. Yeah, I remember it vividly because weirdly, I was at the new Camp that night. We were on holiday in Barcelona and it was a Barcelona pre-season friendly that they play every year called the Gamper Cup. And it just so happened that for some reason they were playing Manchester City. So I went to see, you know, Ibrahimovic and Messi to hopefully destroy Man City, I was hoping. And City won 1-0 with a goal from Martin Petrov, <laughs> which I'll never forget. Um, so that was always quite annoying. But I remember, you know, we I was there. And this is at a time when, you know, I'm, I don't know, 15. And I'm certainly not being paid for, you know, data on my phone by my parents Uh in, while we're in Spain. So I'm checking the uh, the score on my dad's phone periodically and, oh, we're losing? Can't believe that. You know, carries on, carries on. 
you know, et cetera, et cetera. And again, like you said, it ends up with uh, finishing 1-0 and, and, and absolute celebrations for Burnley and very correctly so in a way that, you know, we were we were pretty unhappy about in uh, in Barcelona that night. I think I'm right in saying, I'm just watching it right now just to confirm, but I think it was actually Robbie Blake who gave away the penalty that Michael Carrick oh, then was missed. And I mean, why Michael Carrick was taking a penalty, I'm not entirely sure. Um, he did score some for United in some shootouts at times, but um, Wayne Rooney was definitely on the pitch, so I can't really understand why Carrick was taking it there and then. But either way, um, yes, that's a fantastic honourable mention and one that makes a whole lot of sense. Any others that you wanted to give a, a mention to before we finish here? Yeah, th- I've got a couple on my list and I've got a couple that aren't um, aren't Burnley goals, would you believe? The first one is from a b- former Burnley player. So it's the, the Trippier free kick uh, against Croatia in the World Cup uh, semi-final. So this was to take the lead in the first kind of 15 minutes. Obviously Trippier from City, he's, he's from the Northwest. He came through City's Youth Academy, but really made his name with Burnley before he moved on to Spurs. And then he went to Atletico. I think he was at Spurs at the time with the free kick he must have been. But yeah, scores direct free kick for England in a World Cup semi-final. There's not much more you need to say about that. But I remember watching it in a fan park in Castlefield Bowl in Manchester with my cousin. My cousin who was a Blackburn fan, but kind of not really kind of half a <laughs> Blackburn fan, more a football fan. He will actually admit. Um, and just before he struck the free kick, I'd just come out of the beer queue, which as you can imagine took ages, give him a couple of pints. And he said, imagine if... Kieran Trippier from Burnley puts England 1-0 up in the semi-final and then seconds later that happened all the money I'd spent on the beer was I wouldn't say wasted but he wasn't drunk <laughs> um, not out of the cup anyway um, so yeah that was really special obviously the, the end of that game wasn't so great but I think in that moment I thought it doesn't doesn't really get better than this and I'd never really enjoyed watching England or, or got into it until that tournament I think probably most people my age would say the same so it was what I hoped was going to be part of a fairy tale story where we win the World Cup. The other ones that probably mention are more like actually really good goals. So there's two by Stephen DeFore, who probably is the best ever player I would say I've seen play for Burnley pound for pound. He scored a free kick against Man United in 2017. Again, direct straight in the top corner. That is truly a world-class finish. I'm sure you will remember it. Um, mm-hmm. It was Boxing Day, and it was straight in the top left-hand corner, past De Gea, didn't touch anything, just straight in. And he scored another goal against Bristol City. Um, I think it was in the Cup, it was only in the Premier League. And this this goal, like, you've probably never seen it, but and I was I was in the stand as well, the, the ball was in the air, and it came down, and the way he controlled it, he kind of, like, pirouetted, touched the ball past two players, sprinted from one side of the D to, to the edge of their box, just blasted it in the bottom corner. Um, in fact, no, that was against Hull in the Premier League. And he scored another goal against Bristol City where he just passed it over the keeper. He just lobbed him like, like it was the easiest thing you'd ever seen. I think the, the technique he brought to the club was really was unparalleled. Obviously, I mentioned Blake was a fantastic technician for us, but Defoe was on another level. I mean, quite rightly, he was linked with um, United in the early days of his career. Injuries kind of put paid to that. And again, he didn't have best time with us because he, he still had a few injuries and I don't think he, he really had the um, energy I suppose to last a full 90 minutes but when he was on the pitch well he really was one of those players who you were like that's that's worth the price of admission to watch him do his things just some of the passes you know play a, a pass across the field and you would think I want to stand up and applaud a pass that's how good it is 
Um, I think other than that, there's a few that I've already mentioned. So the Patterson goal against Reading and the Thompson one in the semi-final. Uh, the goal Little scored, which beat Scunthorpe in that game. I said the first one I remember. Jack Cork scored a, an extra time winner against Istanbul at home when we were in the um, Europa League qualifiers. Couldn't make any of the away games in Europe for various reasons, but that was pretty amazing because we had the... Um, after being there, we went on to play Olympiacos. And the weird thing about that goal was so the, the place in the stand I used to sit until this season was behind the goals. It's like split into home and away with a barrier. And the team we played then was uh, Istanbul Basak, Basak Shahir, which are kind of yep. like a, a club that have been created out of nothing. Um, and they had a lot of like veterans playing for them. Um, and when we scored, you do the instinctive thing as a football fan and run to the away fans. So we did that and it was a completely empty half stand. So we all went, hey, oh, hey. And it was such a strange atmosphere to, to be part of. Um, but that really sticks in my head that the instinct was to run and give the away fans, you know, <laughs> the finger or whatever it might be, flip the bird. But there was literally nobody there. It was just like cricket. So that, that was pretty strange. <laughs> Yeah, the, the Basakshahir here one is weird because they they beat United in the Champions League a couple of years ago. One of the I think it was the infamous strange uh, defensive line of United where everyone was inside their own half and Demba Bar was running in behind. Uh, yeah, the created out of nothing clubs are are always a weird one. Um, but yeah, mm. I, I, I do definitely enjoy some shithousery at the best of times. So that that makes a lot of sense <laughs> to to have that on the list. Matt, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for taking the time. It's been a, a real treat and. Uh, Thank you for being willing to share your Desert Island goals with us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Really enjoyed it. Cheers, Callum. Of course. Well, yeah, as ever, guys, we'll put um, links to all the goals in the description. If you haven't already watched them, please go do that. Um, and we'll link social media profiles uh, where relevant in the description of the podcast. Please take your time. If you, if you can, leave us a five-star review, share with your friends and family and get the word out about the podcast. We, we like it and think it's pretty good. So uh, hopefully other people out there will too. Anyway, as always, we'll see you next week. Thanks very much for listening. Cheers. <laughs>